Hi, and welcome to Sepa Stories. So, I had recorded this particular story before, and um, I stumble over some of the reading, and it, I thought it detracted from the really wonderful writing contained in this story. So this is actually a replacement, and one of the things I wanted to also do with this particular a piece of writing is this is going to be a multi-chapter fan fiction though it isn't completed at this time this is actually the first chapter that's been written so uh, with that kind of preface let's talk a little bit about what the piece is and if you've listened to this recording previously you might have already heard the story so this is just a re-recording and hopefully I don't skip or stumble over my my own mouth again so <laughs> this um, piece of writing is titled Away from the Rain and this was written by an author whose tag is Honey Sweet Cutie. Um, I found this work initially on www.fanfiction.net and as I think I've mentioned on a couple of other stories, this is more or less a go-to for me. Um, I like the way this particular site is laid out and um, you have the ability you know, like to change fonts and things like that within the the app and also on their website so it also gives really good clear ratings and you can very quickly search and find things so archive of our own is also another really wonderful site that houses and you can locate fan fiction you can find fan fiction on Wattpad and you can um, a lot of people have independent blogs and Facebook pages so if you're looking for you know a piece of, of fan fiction it is out there so and as I scout and find pieces to share with you I will certainly share what sites I found these pieces from in case you'd like to research or read more writing by the author alright so let's talk about a little bit of the settings and I'm going to kind of recover some things that we initially talked about on the first reading we attempted for this story so on the tags or the header tied to the story where you register the story uh, within the site in this instance it was fanfiction.net um, honey sweet cutie did write a small bio and the bios are really nice to read because it tells you a little bit about what you're reading so it's think of it as of think of this as a summaries summary so this says the rain hasn't stopped falling since the end of the war Draco's father's legacy poisons even from afar and forgiveness is undeserved late at night Draco hides and listens to Hermione singing in the room of hidden things because it's the only time he doesn't feel like he's drowning it's fine for him to listen as long as she doesn't know he's there isn't it so that's her bio and she has in parentheses not a song fic so we had talked about previously different inspirations that 
may lead to a fan fiction being created. And I had mentioned sometimes even a song, a person might write a fan fiction piece based on that. That's not what's happening here, but that does happen. So um, this is rated M, which means that later that there could be adult situations or maybe explicit material in future chapters that have not yet been posted. So that is something that could potentially be expected further on. This is written in the English language and it is tagged with being romance or angst and pairings that are detailed for us and the writers will always graciously let you know. So if you're looking for something, you can search by a pairing group or a character. That's one of the really wonderful things about some of these fan fiction sites. You can really drill down into what you want to read. So the pairings for this story are Draco Malfoy and Hermione Granger. And there's also, it looks like a side pairing of Pansy Parkinson with Neville Longbottom. So hearing this and hearing the pairings that are being determined now, this is an example of a fan fiction piece that while it may start canon based, which this story does, and we'll, we'll be seeing that in a moment, um, it will be canon divergent, meaning that it's going to go in a different direction than the original pieces were created. And that is a perfect example of what fan fiction is. This is, um, as we had talked, you know, with, with our Game of Thrones example earlier, this is where maybe the writer thought, what would have happened, you know, if these characters had come together in a way that really wasn't explored in the original writing? So, you know, that's something to, to keep in mind. This piece was published, it looks like initially on April the 18th, so it is a relatively new piece of writing. Um, Honey, Sweet Cutie is a really talented writer. I have found some of her writing on Archive of Our Own. She is also part of a Facebook group called Granger Enchanted Survivors. A few years ago, there was a, I would say, a website dedicated to Hermione-centric fanfics, fanfiction pieces, and it was called Granger Enchanted, and it had many followers and thousands of stories posted into it, and unfortunately it went defunct. Um, I'm not sure why or, or why that took place or happened, but there were many, many fans that were very sad that this happened. There is a Facebook group, and many of the writers who were a part of that particular a site have joined and so if you're looking for pieces of fan fiction that are Hermione based you could join this group and maybe become a member and what's really awesome about this group is that you're seeing posts and updates to new and current stories that are being written by authors that you know are actively working to make a thing. So that's that's a wonderful uh, resource if you're looking for something that's fresh and new. This writer has a story in production that's called Counting Stars, and it's a high recommend. Um, I haven't read all the way through, but from what I have browsed, it looks to be really wonderful piece of writing. So check it out. All right, so let's get into our marvelous story. 
And I know you're thinking, get to the story already, and we're almost there. So this character has given us a playlist of of characters, if you will, um, or this writer has given us a, a playlist of characters. We have, and sometimes in fan fiction, I think when I talked about reading uh, The Gunslinger, in my mind, I have an idea of what the main character looked like. Sometimes your fan fiction authors or writers will kind of give you a nudge and a lead. And in this instance, picture Robert Downey Jr. for a character we will be visiting in the story called August Bell. And Pansy Parkinson, she has recommended Think About Lily Collins. Emma Watson is, of course, Hermione Granger. And we have Lucky Blue Smith cast for Draco Malfoy. For me, I'm a Felton fan, so that's probably where my mind is going to go to. Sometimes your uh, fanfiction writers will even give you a playlist of music that you could listen to if you were wanting to kind of give yourself some ambience or maybe that inspired them in writing a piece of fiction. This uh, theme song that she had in mind is called Stand Against the Darkness, and I can't pronounce this name, but the first name is Sunsuki, so find that probably on Apple iTunes if you want to give it a listen, and you know, that's, that's something that's kind of fun. Not all writers will do that, but that is kind of a neat feature here. For you, if you would like to keep in mind who you are thinking about as we're reading the story, that's perfectly fine too. What works for the reader works for the reader. So with that, let's dive into this wonderful story called Away from the Rain. And it is again written by Honey Sweet Cutie, C-U-T-I-E. There's no Y on that. And let's dive into this marvelous chapter and I think you'll really like it. I, I think this is going to be a favorite for me as well. Away from the Rain, Chapter 1 It rained often in Scotland. Sometimes it felt like the sky wept onto the castle, forever mourning the deaths that marred the stones of Hogwarts Castle. Scottish raindrops were heavy and persistent, never-ending in the sort of way that a mother never stops grieving a lost child. The blood of innocent children had crept so far into the earth that it had taken root, growing invisible trees made out of pure souls that stretched to the ceilings and left a chill all over the campus. Hogwarts would forever be tainted with sorrow, and no amount of magic nor good intentions could restore it to its former glory. While the remaining Hogwarts students would live on, and the school would accept new students year after year, the sky continued to pour out its lamentation as if the rain could wash away the remnants of hellfire and darkness. The castle was restored over the course of the summer, with the combined efforts of adults and children alike. And, after a one-month delay, the school year began in October. First years crowded Platform 9 and 3 quarters, mingling with other students that hadn't chosen to take a gap year, and everyone walked with a cautious step. Cautious steps that spoke of trepidation and hope, 
and sleepless nights, and a hunger for a normalcy that felt slippery from the rain. Trauma in its most complicated, unavoidable form that stretched across the entire student body like a blanket of February snow. February the snow, February snow, ever the bridge between the frozen waste of winter and the fresh breath of spring. The air feels different, Draco said as he stepped off the Hogwarts Express and inhaled. He was one of the last to leave the train, and he could see the rest of the students filing towards the carriages. The night sky seemed oppressive, the rain clouds blocking out the storm. If it weren't for the water-repellent charm woven into the fabric of his blazer and hovering in an aura along his entire body, he knew he'd be soaked. Behind him, Pansy hopped off the train steps with a loud thunk. She let out a sound, the sound she typically reserved for when her tea was too cold. She whispered a charm to keep the rain away from her body and stood beside Draco on the platform. Different, she said. Different how? Draco narrowed his eyes at the edges of the forest, which seemed darker than usual, and smudged through the rain's onslaught. It doesn't feel the same as it used to. As opposed to what? Pansy tossed her black hair over her shoulders, and the ends of it grazed her back between her shoulder blades. Air that you recognize. Air's air, Draco, and it's the same no matter where you go. No, not here he murmured, slipping one hand into the pocket of his trousers and wrapping his fingers around the object that lay hidden inside. The silver was cool to the touch, familiar, unlike the air. Pansy turned to face him, her nose turning up even further as she looked up at him. Curiosity danced in her eyes, illuminated by the light spilling out from within the train. Beyond the intrigue, he saw her understanding. She felt the same way that he did. She just needed him to voice it. It doesn't feel like it used to, Draco said, searching her face. It feels like it's air we've never breathed before, like it's stale and void of anything we used to know. Dark, she whispered, and then she lowered her gaze. And empty, he said. He hung his head and looked off to the side at a wooden plank that looked uncharacteristic in the way the raindrops were gathering in its divots. The rest of the platform looked pristine. Just like the plank, Draco felt like he didn't belong on the grounds of Hogwarts anymore. What did the air used to feel like? Pansy asked as they began to follow the rest of their peers. They were only a meter or so behind, but the rain fell so loud that no conversation could be heard save for their own. Draco stared at the ground, at the mud and grass that he had traversed for years, and he felt like he had no idea where he was. He walked the same path since he was a first year, yet he recognized nothing. It was as if Hogwarts had closed a door to him, some intangible gate made of betrayal that everyone was allowed to pass except for him. Him, the one who had betrayed the very stones of the castle to let the devil in. As they joined the back of the crowd, waiting for their turn to take a carriage, Draco looked up. 
He scanned the sea of heads, boys and girls of all shapes and sizes and heights chattering like squirrels as they tried to pretend June never happened. He studied them, even as he felt Pansy's gaze on the side of his face, and he wondered if they noticed how barren the air was. Somewhere to the right, semi-hidden by the trees, stood the last person Draco thought he would thought would find refuge in the shadows. Hermione Granger. Granger, with her curls dripping wet strands past her chest, looking as though she didn't care if she drowned. She stared into the nothingness, at the ground, at her feet. She wore the war like a cloak on her shoulders, just like she had when he'd seen her speak for him and his mother at his trial, and just like she had when she accepted her order of Merlin at the end of war festivities and shook Kingsley's hand with the smile of an actress. Then her gaze lifted. It met Draco's across the meters that felt like light years, and it was there that he saw it. Whether the air felt different or the same, Granger wasn't breathing. Pansy cleared her throat, but she said nothing to indicate that she could see him staring. Draco, she insisted. What did the air used to feel like? Draco wanted to look away from Granger, the person he once despised the existence of, but it felt like tearing his eyes away from a mirror. A mirror that was cracked, splintering with a spider web of more and more cracks each day. The fact that she hadn't chosen to use any sort of repellent for the rain felt like proof to Draco that whether she knew how to swim or not, whether she knew how to open her lungs and breathe, she couldn't. Or perhaps, like him, she didn't want to. Like home, Pansy he said in a soft voice as he gripped the silver in his pocket even tighter. He used to feel like home. Even though the typical pattern was followed, Draco could tell that things were different. McGonagall, Hogwarts' new headmaster, was obviously well suited to the position. She gave a speech just like Dumbledore used to. She introduced the professors, and no one except the eight years seemed to notice that there were more new professors than was typical. Draco, in particular, felt the guilt like a heavy lead in the pit of his stomach. He kept his gaze trained on the table in front of him. He feared that if he looked up, right across the way, at other tables, he'd meet the glares of the students he'd fought against in the war. McGonagall held the sorting ceremony after the meal, and then dessert was served. Draco spent most of the meal talking sporadically with Pansy, the only friend he had remaining. It seemed that even in the house of Slytherin, the Malfoy name was despised. Fortunately, no one seemed keen on picking any rose with him, so he ate in peace. He glanced across the room one time at the Gryffindor table. Granger was sitting on the opposite side facing him, and the girl in the shadows seemed to have vanished. She was talking in an amiable manner, laughing and carrying on with gusto. The haunted look that Draco had seen in her eyes seemed to have been snuffed out by the light that now shone in her face. 
Outside, she'd look like she hadn't slept in weeks. And now, she looked like herself, chipper, bright, ready to learn. For some reason, he felt disappointed. Are you going to apologize to her? Pansy asked from her spot across from him. Draco felt an uncomfortable prickling on the back of his neck. Apparently, she wasn't going to let him get away with staring this time. He was quick to turn into his pudding, but slow to stop his cheeks from heating up. As if she would accept an apology from the likes of me, he muttered, and then took a bite. The flavor had been his favorite since he was in his nappies. Chocolate with cherry coolie, but he felt like he couldn't taste it, like the air in the castle. It was empty. You never know, Pansy replied, setting her fork down on her empty pie plate. She folded her arms on the table and arched one sculpted brow. She spoke for you and your mum at the trials, and if it weren't for her, you'd be an Azkaban. If she could do that, then perhaps she could accept an apology from you for being such a prat when we were younger. Draco shot her a look, which she smirked in response to. A sour expression fixed itself upon his face as he finished his pudding. He didn't like to think about the trials. His mother's Azkaban sentence had been reduced to three years thanks to Potter's testimony of what happened in the forest. Because of Granger's testimony as to Draco's actions at the manor, Draco had been given probation, when not at Hogwarts, for the next ten years. Any other Slytherin would be happily to pay a debt, would happily pay a debt to both Potter and Granger for what they had done. After years and years of turmoil between them, however, Draco would settle for small steps. For starters, he would call them by their surnames and not childish nicknames. Potter was no longer Potty, and Weasley was Weasley. Mudblood was no longer a word that held in Draco's vocabulary. Now, Draco now knew that Muggleborns had the same color blood running through their veins as a pure-blooded witch or wizard. Granger's blood was thicker and stronger than anyone else. Draco had seen her take on adult Death Eaters during the final battle with the most feral snarl on her face. He'd seen her take them on and win. He'd seen her car skin carved into like a slab of meat by his own bloody aunt while keeping the lid shut on her secrets. She was braver than any Gryffindor he'd ever heard or read about. Any witch braver than Gryffindor himself was as genuine as a diamond. Life debt or not, apologizing to Granger was a completely different situation. Draco felt like apologizing to her would be like serving Thestral shit on a silver platter. Granger was a war heroine. She didn't deserve his insolence, let alone his self-serving apologies. She didn't need them or want them. I can see you brooding, Pansy said. You wear the lines in your forehead like a mask. Draco swallowed his final bite of pudding. Come off it. Everything's always got to be a metaphor with you, doesn't it? Pansy sniffed, but her brow remained lifted. Don't snip at me because you aren't capable of analyzing things, the things I say. What's the issue? Just talk to her. No. Why not? You feel guilty, don't you? 
course I do. Draco felt his old tempers flaring. He fixed Pansy with as fiery a glare as he could muster, wary of the students around him picking up on the tension. I issued a public apology from the Prophet for my family's part. I wouldn't have done that if I didn't feel at least some measure of guilt. Pansy pursed her lips. Somehow I feel like a public apology meant to cover all your bases is not the same as personally apologizing for making her life a loving... I said, come off it. Draco's voice lashed out across the table, drawing sharp looks from those around them. This is the ten thousandth time you've said this to me. I will apologize if and when I see fit, Pansy Parkinson. And I don't have anyone, I won't have anyone speaking to a Malfoy as though he owes anyone more than he's willing to give. Even you. Feeling the anxiety warring with his irritation, Draco rose sharply to his feet. He was heading to the Slytherin common room and taking whichever room was available. McGonagall hadn't done closing, hadn't done the closing announcements, nor had she announced the new Slytherin head of house, but he didn't care. His emotions were all over the place, spilling out all over the ground of his heart like a game of exploding snap. Draco knew that Granger deserved a personal apology. If anyone deserved one from him, it was her. He'd bullied her with the intent of diminishing her spirit, of turning her into a reduction of that Hermione Granger that everyone had come to know in school. It hadn't worked by Salazar if he hadn't done his damnedest in the attempt. How was he supposed to walk up to her and apologize for that without making himself look a looked like a complete and utter fool. Draco, wait! Pansy called after him, sounding worried and apologetic. Shouldn't you wait for... I know where the dungeons are, he snapped, cutting her off. More gazes fell upon him as it became clear that Draco Malfoy was not staying for the end of dessert. He kept his back straight and his chin leading forward. He tried his best not to look like he wore his family's shame like clothing. He did not check to see if Granger watched him go, and he did not look over his shoulder. Even if being a Malfoy was no longer an honor, he would never let a soul see him shed his crown. Draco met the new Slytherin head of house sooner than he thought he would. The dungeon corridor was colder than he recalled it ever feeling, and he could hear water dripping in places that he couldn't see. The rain continued to fall outside, but this part of the castle remained below ground. Quiet and oppressive, the corridor was no longer a place that Draco felt he could recognize. Either he'd been naive as a boy, or he was just jaded now, but it felt like a grave. Outside the windows that lined the corridor, the murkiness of the lake was black as ink. The creatures that once glowed had grown dim. Draco wondered if they'd left, or if their desire to live had dissipated with Dumbledore's death. He supposed he hadn't even paid attention during his seventh year, the rare times he'd even come to the castle. There were a lot of things about Hogwarts that Draco hadn't noticed before, things that were long gone now. Draco found the hidden entrance easily. 
descending the steps down further into the damp and cold. When he came to the blank stone wall that would open to none other than a Slytherin, the only portrait in the entire corridor was revealed to him like a ghost in the moonlight. Surprised, he found himself he found himself staring into the calm, blinking eyes of Albus Dumbledore. He looked exactly as he had the day he died, complete with his blackened hand and luxurious silk robes. He wore no hat, and his beard was so long that it nearly touched his lap. He sat in an armchair by a lit fireplace, and he said nothing. This portrait hadn't been there in the years before, so Draco didn't quite know what to do. He felt confused about it, and more than a little uncomfortable at having to look at his old headmaster in the eyes again. He'd spent many nightmares. He'd had many nightmares about meeting with Dumbledore face to face since his sixth year, and the suddenness of this moment felt jarring, portrait or not. Hello. Draco said, his voice seeming flat in the small area. He lowered his gaze. It felt silly to say hello to a man his godfather had killed to protect him. The portrait said nothing. It merely blinked. Draco reached up to rub the back of his neck, keeping his other hand in his pocket. He couldn't lift his gaze from the ground. Rationally, he knew that this was merely a portrait of the previous headmaster, and there was no guarantee it had emotions or could even speak. But there were many portraits in the halls of Hogwarts that did little more than move from time to time. Though it was strange to have a portrait of Dumbledore blocking the entrance to the common room when they'd never had a portrait before, you couldn't stand in front of the portrait feeling like a sap forever regardless of whether or not he felt sorry for his part in the man's death. Pure blood, he murmured, using the same password he'd been using since his first year. Silence. Draco gulped. The part portrait hadn't said a word, and yet by the expression in his oil-painted eyes, Dumbledore was waiting for him to say something different. Has it changed then? Draco said to the portrait, stammering. Dumbledore's portrait stared at him, then his gaze slid to the right. The moment it did, Draco heard the footsteps tapping down the stairs. It has, in fact. Draco whirled at the sudden voice, glancing behind himself. An older man came out of the darkness of the steps and approached Draco. He wore dark robes that were either black or navy blue. Draco couldn't tell by the dim light of the lanterns, and his short, dark brown hair swept back from his forehead, as though it were windblown. He had a short, he had a shaped mustache and a goatee, and his eyes pierced into Draco as though he were studying him. He held out his hand and gave Draco a small smile, but his eyes remained devoid of warmth. Professor Auguste Bell, he said, I am the new head of Slytherin House. Draco blinked, and his right hand automatically reaching out to grasp Augustus. The name was familiar, and he'd seen McGonagall introduce this man at dinner. He'd been lost in thought at the time, but he recalled the introductions at least somewhat. Had the professor followed him out of the Great Hall? Yes, you're also the defense against the dark arts, Professor, correct? 
Draco gave Augustus' hand a hearty shake. Your name is familiar. Do you, um, did you work with my father? Something changed in the air as fast as a lightning strike. August tightened his hold on Draco's hand, much to Draco's perplexion, and he yanked on it. Draco stumbled forward, gritting his teeth against the pain of the vice-like grip. He glared down at their joined hands and then returned his gaze to Augustus. What the... Augustus' voice was cold as ice as he cut Draco off. My daughter's name is Katie, he said, tilting his head to the side and locking gazes with Draco. I'm sure you two have met once or twice. Katie Bell... Draco's heart skipped a bait, and he tried to take his hand back. Augustus did not loosen his hold. He held Draco's gaze. You have met, haven't you? Because she's told me so much about you. In fact, that you couldn't possibly be anything other than good friends. Draco was sorry for his part in the war and the things he had done, but he was still himself. He wasn't one to be threatened by someone he barely knew. With a sharp movement, he ripped his hand away and moved back. He put into his eyes all of the Malfoy family disdain that he possessed in his core and lifted his chin. Katy Bell and I are nothing more than acquaintances, sir, he said, his voice a quiet hiss. And while I don't think we will ever be more than that, I will apologize to her formally. If that is what you wish, I, I don't wish for anything more for you than for you to stay away from my daughter. Augustus' tones sounded tight, stretched thin over hot coals. These are new times. Times where the Malfoy name has the same worth as half of a sickle. Your father has no power, and as long as you're a student in my class, in my house, you answer to me. And you will answer for what you did to my child. Draco wanted to avert his eyes, feeling the shame pressing down on him, but his pride refused to allow it. He maintained his posture and his glare. He did not look away. So, what, a duel? Draco adjusted the lapels of his blazer and licked down his nose at a gust. They were the same height at a little over six feet tall, but Draco felt like he was only an inch off the ground. He had never been much more than a coward, and it wasn't lost on him that they were the only two wizards down here, and dessert was not yet over. You kill me, make it look like an accident? Augustus' eyes danced with mirth that Draco didn't understand, and he crossed his arms over his chest. You have no idea what your father did to me last year, do you? You haven't the slightest clue what he did to my family. Draco narrowed his eyes. I didn't make it a point to keep tabs on him, no. August leaned forward, and Draco felt his own back hit the front of the portrait. The two men glared at one another as Augustus' hand clenched in the fabric of Draco's suit. Your weak excuse for a father nearly destroyed my family, the professor snarled, and you turned my daughter into a ghost long before that. 
She can't even sleep full night without seeing the end of your father's wand and dreaming of the cruciatus she was subjected to during the war. Do you know what that's like? When your daughter comes home from school and she spends her night screaming and crying, Draco's heart sunk into his stomach as the guilt reared its head again, but he remained firm in his indignation. I'm not responsible for his actions. No, but you're responsible for. And Augustus trilled off and inhaled deeply. He spoke softer let go of Draco's blazer to move back from him. You're responsible for your own. You will apologize to my daughter, yes, but that doesn't mean I have to forgive you. And if I go to the headmistress about your lack of, Draco sneered as he smoothed out his clothing, professionalism. August furrowed his brown and scoffed, and who is she likely to believe? The newest defense against the dark arts professor whose wife and daughter were tortured by Death Eaters during the war? Or the son of a demon who let the Dark Lord in? Draco took a deep breath. August was right. He looked away and clenched his teeth so hard that it hurt. McGonagall may have been a friend to the Golden Trio, but she was no friend to Draco. Anything he had to say would likely be compared to an outright lie. There would be no more threatening to go to his father for Draco. He was on his own. The password is loyalty, kid, Augustus said, crossing his arms over his chest. He gave Draco a once-over, something that your family has never understood about the Slytherin household, something your father sold for power. Something you'll regret not understanding sooner by the time you graduate my class. Your room is the last one on the left and the right-hand hallway. Draco frowned. That's a closet. It always has been a closet. It's been converted, August smirked. Enjoy your new quarters, kid. It's going to be a long year. See you in class tomorrow. With the sweep of his robes, he was gone, leaving Draco with a myriad of negative emotions, guilt over every mistake he had made, and anger in regards to the way he'd just been treated, and helplessness as to what he could do to help himself. He'd always regretted his sixth year, and he'd always regretted casting the imperious curse on Katie. He had known that his father was an Azkaban for life for his crimes, but had he really been dense enough to think that there would be no societal consequences for it at all? He hadn't fully grasped what his own future would look like when he crossed one of his father's victims. The Piper wants my family's payment, Draco thought, and I'm going to have to be the one to pay him. When Draco finally saw the closet that had been converted into his new quarters for the year, he felt like crying. It was only big enough for a bed, a small circular window, and a one-person desk, nothing else. In first year, he'd heard a rumor that Potter lived in a cupboard under a stairwell at home. Now, Draco lived in a closet, and Potter was a junior orer at the Ministry of Magic. They'd come full circle, and Draco had finally cashed out on the karma he'd earned for himself with his poor choices. 
Draco attempted an extension charm, but it didn't work no matter how many times he cast the spell. He tried for a solid ten minutes before accepting his fate. With a heavy sigh, he curled up on a rock-hard bed that was much too short for him, and he acquiesced. This was what he deserved. It was going to be a very long year indeed. All right, so that was the end of this really marvelous first chapter. And the writer has notated that she intends to update this story in about every two weeks or so. Um, any lover sex scene, so that will be happening, will be tasteful. She is stating and not gratuitous. So um, keep that in mind. The story will have adult content. And the story is also going to have between 25 to 30 chapters, give or take, where and how the story develops. So this was Away from the Rain. And I really, really loved reading and sharing this story. The Robert Downey Jr. character as August Bell, I thought, really worked well. I could see him in that role, so that was awesome. And some of the details that I really loved and enjoyed about this story were um, Draco coming off the train with Pansy and you know, he's talking to her and it's this kind of really formal, almost stilted conversation and he's already feeling how things are different and he's wearing, I like the symbolism of wearing his family's guilt like clothing or his family's shame. So it's an interesting dichotomy where now we see you know, how Harry started so humbly in going to Hogwarts and Draco was so aloof and, and, you know, very full of himself. Now he's been very humbled. So I liked the end of the story where we heard about, you know, of course, he had heard rumors of Potter living in a closet and or under the stairs and now he's in a closet. I thought that was nice. I also like the way he is viewing Hermione Granger and for a story that will be throwing these two characters together, I think this is kind of exciting to maybe see how maybe Draco's perceptions in being raised in such a bigoted way and viewing uh, pure-blooded wizards to muggle-born witches and wizards. Um, now that's kind of all been brushed aside and Draco states that he thought that Granger was, you know, like the toughest witch or the bravest witch who had, you know, the best and thickest blood and he talks about having, having seen her take on adult death eaters and the snarl on her, on her face, you know, fighting ferociously and fairly um, and winning these challenges during the battle. You know, she's a formidable witch and powerful. Even surviving and standing against uh, Bellatrix, his aunt, having tortured her at the manor. So I like these references to past events that are canon-based. One of the things that's interesting up to this point of the story is that this story, to the end of the first chapter, is canon compliant, which means that every part of the story has followed what Rowling initially created. It's just kind of expanded 
on what has taken place. You don't have Severus Snape, you know, at this point magically surviving. You don't have, um, you know, like there's there's very definite loss that has happened. McGonagall is, you know, the new headmaster. You have the introduction very creatively and skillfully done of bringing in August Bell. And I like that there is a comeuppance and an addressing of Draco's actions pertaining to Katie Bell. You know, because we know from reading the Harry Potter books that Katie Bell was never the intended target when Draco was trying to assassinate Dumbledore. Um, she just happened to be the person that, you know, was used in that way to, to bring that occurrence, you know, to, to fruition, but that didn't happen. And so Katie, you know, ends up being cursed in, in the film. I thought in the film... Um, when Katie Bell touches the cursed necklace and you see her body levitate and it's that silent scream. To me, I thought that was one of the most scary scenes in that particular movie because, you know, it was horrific. And in the books, it was also very well done. So to kind of have this new character, her father, you know, expand on that to Draco and, you know, kind of looking for retribution for his daughter and his family. You know, you've got a very angry man, so this is already setting the stage for some nice tension, you know, that you could expect happening. So this is very much, I think, a comeuppance story, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen between Draco and Granger as the story unfolds and progresses. Um, I loved Pansy and this incarnation of the story. I think that, you know, she's witty in this story and she's likable in a way that she really isn't in, of course, the original works by Rowling. In, in the books, you know, Pansy is quite nasty and very much a mean girl and very much a bully. They both are both Draco and Pansy. So, so to kind of see them having to lean on each other and really have nobody but each other, you know, is is really quite wonderful to kind of see their friendship and their tension with her trying to convince Draco of all things that he needs to apologize, you know, to, to Granger. So she's actively working on, for his behalf, and it's kind of a turnaround for this character, a maturity to this character that I'm really excited to see, you know, how she's going to develop out and appearing with Neville, I think is going to be really, really fun to see happen. So that is what fan fiction is. This is what fan fiction is, where you play with the characters and maybe throw them together in a new and a unique way. And you tell a story and you make it marvelous. And this writer has accomplished this. So if you want to check out more of this story, this is called Away from the Rain. The tag for the author is Honey Sweet Cutie. And this can be found on fanfiction.net and certainly here on my podcast as uh, she is producing more chapters. I, I was in communication with her just last night. We were so excited to get this posted for everyone to listen to. Um, as she's posting new chapters, we will be adding to the story. So you'll be able to come in to the podcast and hear 
subsequent chapters as they are written and ready to be uploaded to this podcast. So you'll be able to hear the story and how that will work is you'll simply click on this and you can pick up where this chapter leaves off and be able to continue on listening to the story. So thank you for joining Sipa Stories and I hope that you have a marvelous day and I really hope you like this story. This is a wonderful, I think, first chapter and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome back to Seppa Stories. All right, so I can't leave this piece of writing alone. <laughs> and honestly, I I will tell you just a little up front, and this will be a pretty short re, uh, recording or, or podcast edition to Away from the Rain by Honey Sweet Cutie. Um, many, many years ago, when... I was studying creative writing and creative writing processes. It was discussed in one of my courses that when a body of writing stays in your mind, it's effective. It works. And I first read Away from the Rain, oh, a few weeks ago, and it stayed with me. There are elements of the story that I just can't wait to hear coming up. So let me tell you what worked for me as a reader of the story and a reader of the story, putting this on on podcast. I really like, these are some strengths I find in this particular story. I really like the poetic nature of this story. And in a weird way, and not weird, it was just kind of a simultaneous type of a thing. I was rereading Stephen King's The Gunslinger book, and that book for Stephen King is very, to me, untypical of his other writing. You know, the, the Carrie, Cujo, um, Rose Matter, even, you know, say his, his newer stories, you know, Insomnia or The Stand or It. He has this type of writing style that you start reading and it just pulls you right in and, and he is a master at what he does. For me, a standout book from everything he has written, and it was written in 1978, was Stephen King's The Gunslinger book, which I read that on this podcast, you know, as a sampling to see how I could read different characters and if this was something I, I would want to pursue. And yes, it did teach me that I did, but it also refreshed me to that particular book. And one of the things that parallels to this story is the use of a poetic language. So when Away from the Rain begins, it starts off talking about, or the first sentence is talking about the rain in Scotland. And then you're hearing about, you know, how the castle just seems sad. And to me, the very intro of the story is a poetic unfurling, almost like a flower blooming. And for me, as a reader for the things I like to enjoy reading, it really spoke to me and it opened up the story and it, it really caught my imagination.
Another thing that works for me as a reader is imagery within the story. You can tell a story and it be practically all dialogue and that works uh, for some stories. You can tell a story through the device of letters or diary ads or, or diary recordings or maybe newspaper clippings. And um, as I'm kind of hearkening back to Stephen King, Stephen King does this in Salem's Lot a little bit before telling his story. And beginning and end, you hear news newspaper clippings of, of what's happened after. Some of the best, I think, films start off with news news reports you know like zombie stories where where things are breaking loose before you dive into the story and for those things it's effective and that's not the device being used here here we have a more flowering bloom of the story um that's delicate and it that draws me in. So there are different writing styles and devices. And, and this is one of the things that really has drawn me to fan fiction and the marvelous different writers who really are sharpening, honing their craft and sharing their ideas and stories, whether or not they're inspired by a larger piece of writing. The fact that they're creating something is is beautiful. And this story, I think, could be a really beautiful story uh, to unfold. So I'm really waiting on Tinderhooks here for more chapters. It's <laughs> right faster, honey, sweet cutie, right faster. Um, but let me tell you some of the details that I can't get out of my mind and for me as a reader why this story works. First of all, I loved how the story begins with a sense of apprehension. You know, people are on platform nine and three quarters and you know, they're it's almost like they're forcing themselves to be cheerful and Having lived through many things in my life, you know, I am a post 9-11 person. I remember how things felt different from one day to the next after such a huge event having happened. And I think this writer captures that feeling very well of, you know, people hesitant, taking tentative steps, but hopeful and apprehensive and scared and wanting things to kind of fall into normalcy. And sometimes things don't, or sometimes they do, but in a different way. So I thought that was very, very um, carefully captured, very delicately captured. I love Draco and Pansy exiting the Hogwarts train, and it's raining, and I like the, the device of the weather, adding to Draco's and Pansy's conversation where they're together. It's like the air, you know, it feels different, or, you know, Pansy's like, air's air, what are you talking about? And, and I love Pansy, because Pansy even though the language and the conversation is a bit a bit stilted and there is a deeper meaning between them and, and what they're expressing to each other she adds a bit of of uh, you know a, a bit of humor in in a not humorous way you know she's she's pansy and you can kind of see as i as i've mentioned in my previous commentary how how there's almost a maturity to her so in the canon we do know that 
it's Pansy who's, well, let's give them Harry Potter, you know, so she's going to have her very own challenges in the story to have to overcome. And, you know, and I'm excited to see where the story is going to take her as a character, but as a friend to Draco, you know, she's there and she's sensitive to how he's feeling. And she's perceptive of where his eyes are laying and, you know, what, what's pulling his direction. She is aware of him, I think, in a way that even Draco isn't aware. So I'm really excited to see how this is going to flower and unfold. I liked the device of Hermione being in the shadows, coming off that train, and Draco seeing her. And she's standing and letting the rain drench her. And she's a witch, so we know from seeing the films and from reading the books, you know, that she could have cast a protective charm on herself to not get wet, but she's standing there and she's just letting the rain soak her hair and her clothing. And I thought this was a very effective device to show maybe the post-traumatic stress that she's going through, having survived everything that she survived. And now she's returning to the castle without Harry and Ron because um, later in the story Draco you know calls to mind that Harry is a junior or and we don't hear that Ron is there either so we are assuming that Ron is you know probably either with his family or you know working with the joke shop or maybe following Harry we don't know yet where this story is going to place Ron Weasley but you know he is not with her Hermione is very much standing on her own in the rain and going through you know this this moment of stress or maybe despair or maybe she's lost herself and Draco is seeing her and he's seeing that she's not breathing so I thought that was very well done and lovely. Going into the castle itself, you are seeing, you know, the teachers are trying to make things normal for the students again, and they've rebuilt the castle. And it took adults and children. And I think the thing about the Harry Potter books that's always stood out to me is that the Battle of Hogwarts you know, though there were wizards fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts, that was a children's war. And that's what makes the original Harry Potter books uh, so poignant, is that at the end of the day, it wasn't the grown-ups. There were a handful of them coming in to rescue the day. You know, it was it was the children. So it's children's war. And that's even more heartbreaking, you know, that the only people willing to stand up against what was oppression were a very small, select few group of adults and then children, the children themselves. So I, I've always, I've always, I think that's why I like the Harry Potter series so much is the heartbreaking unfolding that this is what it came down to. And I think that this is going to, you know, be a nice device, you know, because in any war you have people on both sides of the line, good and bad, and sometimes the in-between part, the no man's land, is gray. And 
take Severus Snape, you know, who was a, a spy for both sides and was complicated in his own right, whatever his motives or reasons, you know, he sacrificed so much to be effective to overthrow, of course, Voldemort and, or the, you know, of course, the Death Eaters that he was a part of. So being a spy was huge. And then Draco, we know from canon, is pretty much forced into being a Death Eater himself. You know, he, he might have believed in it because he was young and that was the ideology he was taught. But it's complicated for him, too, because, you know, he was he was pushed into it and at a young age may not have had the ability to have been able to make better choices. Everyone has a choice. You know, Hermione made a choice and Ron and Harry made choices and the children who fought in that final battle made choices. But, you know, Draco may not have had choices because of living in the same house where Voldemort had decided to set up, you know, his temporary rule or his command, you know, simply because of what his father had gotten them into. So we know that from this story and also from canon that Lucius Malfoy is serving out a sentence in Azkaban and his mother, Narcissa, has been given a relaxed sentence because she lied to Voldemort when Harry was in the forest and had gone to confront Voldemort. So, which if you've read the books, you know what that's all about. So I'm not going to cover that again. But then you have uh, Draco. And, you know, we know from the Pottermore site and also from canon and from other wonderful fan fiction pieces and hardcore fans that we know that it's Harry and Hermione who speak for Draco uh, when they're when he's having his trial when they're trying to decide if he should go to Azkaban and we do know that he is punished and does is I think ordered to go back to Hogwarts or maybe he wants to go as well you know to finish his education but he is he is given probation and you know, even though, and I think I think it was because of the whole premise of, well, he didn't really have a choice. He was a minor. He was a child when they forced him to become a Death Eater. So, so Draco is a very complicated, I think, and marvelous character to go forward, both in the canon piece, where he ends up with the story of green grass and his father to Scorpius. And maybe in this writing where it's going to take a divergence from what Rowling had initially written into this other realm where he more confronts, I think, or will be confronting head on his own feelings of shame and guilt and his own arrogance and, you know, maybe a, a coming to terms with having to acknowledge who he is as a person and having to let things fall aside for this particular story to be able to develop as as the writer is intending. So I really can't wait to see what she creates. I'm very much looking forward to it. I didn't feel I, I got to expand on these lovely details in my re-recording. You know, as I'd mentioned, I had all kinds of technical difficulties. And, and then I was reading and it was hours of trying to get this podcast up. I'm learning so much trying to um, share this these wonderful stories with you. So 
I wanted to give the story and the writer both due credit for a marvelous piece of writing for a very solid, well-crafted first chapter. Well done. Well done, honey, sweet cutie. And I very much love what you are creating. This writer has another uh, story that she is working on simultaneously, and I think that's a feat in itself. That's multitasking at its best, and that story is called Counting Stars. So if you liked this first chapter, check out Counting Stars. This is a setting where Voldemort won, and and she's trying to, she being the character of Hermione Granger, is trying to survive in this dystopian world that is, is very different. It's a completely different outcome to, to what we know and love already. So if you're interested in seeing what that's all about, give that a listen. Or I haven't read it yet, so that'll be coming. <laughs> but maybe um, give it a read. Give it a read. And if you like hearing these stories please share these. And as I've mentioned, going forward, there'll be a bit less commentary and a lot more story reading so that you have a more natural and even flow. I will always give commentary, maybe not to this length, so that the writers have feedback for what they're creating. If you're creating something, you want to know how it's received. And if you'd like to message me, or if you're interested in maybe having your piece of writing read on this podcast, you can email me at seppa, S-E-P-P-A, 200, at gmail.com. Now, due to volume, it may take me a bit to get back with you, but I will always try to review emails and get back as quickly as I can. So with that, thank you for listening to SEPA Stories and helping me to launch this podcast. And this is for you guys and for me too and for our writers. So uh, fanfiction lovers, yes, unite. Story writers and creators of all things amazing, yes, yes. And writers continue, continue to write. There is a demand for what you're doing. All right, with that, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining SEPA Stories. If you like this, be sure to follow or subscribe, whether on Spotify or Apple iTunes. And this way, you can hear the latest stories as quickly as possible. All right, you take care. We'll see you next time.